Welcome to Seek Go Create. This is Tim Winders. This is going to be quite the unexpected episode. Going to do some some things a little bit different here. We're going to kind of ease into it, and then we're going to kind of mix things up. I'm going to jump right in and kind of let you know we've got we've got Marva Baylor with us, and uh, as a breast cancer survivor, mom, and successful tech executive, she uses her personal and career experiences to inspire and educate others. In her debut book be unexpected which we're going to talk about and so i want to jump in and then we're going to actually do a little bit of a different type intro in just a moment marvel welcome to seek go create thank you tim it's fun to be here i feel like i'm right there with you in your rv yeah you are i'm in uh i'm somewhere in like south dakota and you're outside of atlanta which is my old stomping grounds and um all right let's let's kind of do something cool here to get started i usually ask the question what do you do is my first question. I am going to ask that, let you answer, and then we're going to do another intro and have some fun with it, okay? So if we bump into each other somewhere and I just say, what do you do? What do you tell people, Marva? That is the, the unexpected part. So I, I actually watched uh, the last two episodes, Vera and Patrick, and I noticed your body language. See how you're smiling? Because you're like, what the heck is she going to say? And when they said it, you were polite and you listened, but you weren't really getting that energy. So when someone says, what do you do right off the bat? And you always have the air, airplane example. I'll ask them, you know, what are you in an industry? Are you traveling on vacation and, and get that kind of context? Because then instead of, so let's just pretend again, we're on a Delta flight together. What sure. do you do? I would say I work for a company that's securing your applications. And by the way, that drink that was just brought to you, that is being done through our supply chain. You're like, drink? that was brought to me how did that happen and then we'll get talking or I might say I'm super passionate about breast cancer survival because I'm a, a, a breast cancer survivor and I'm really looking forward to Delta you know that's the airline we all fly here in Atlanta and and their um commitment to BCRF and and they're they're all going to be wearing pink and all the drinks are going to be pink and they're really you know educating their employees on breast cancer awareness and that's really important to me so i would say that and then you'd be like oh who is she and you don't care where i work what i do if i have a family you're like oh wow she wants to actually talk to me and and gosh i got to sit next to her for 3 hours <laughs> so so that's good so when I introduce myself, that is how I introduce myself. Cool. Well, I love the thought that you turn it around and kind of asked questions. And so many things that you brought up there are what you bring up in your book, uh, Be Unexpected, that we're going to be doing a deep dive in today. But one of the coolest things that I saw early on in your book, and I just finished it, I did the first half of the book, kind of a little bit of a slow read and the last half and the last day, a fast read, I was kind of scanning. But one of the cool things that I like at the beginning is that you're real big on a walk-up song. And I didn't notice the trend or the, or the strategy there until I was reading kind of just some things that people said about the book early on. And, and you had these songs underneath every one of them. I'm going, wonder why she's got a song there. And then when I started getting into the book, uh, I, I kind of saw that you're real big on like a walk-up song, which is big in, you know, baseball and different things like that. And you listed a walk-up song and I, I wanted to do this just to kind of have a little fun with it. Um, 
the walk-up song you mentioned, we, we've got, we're on a budget here at Seat Go Create. We don't have the budget, I think, to acquire the rights to these songs. And I'm pretty sure that what I'm about to do is not going to violate any licensing or anything like that. But I, I'm going to do your walk-up song. I'm going to kind of hum it. It's by a phenomenal, classic, uh, female-led rock group by the name of Heart. So I'm going to do a riff, intro you, and you're just going to bust in. So we're going to do another intro for you. So uh, are you ready? I'm ready. And look, right. I got my, I just happen to have this on my desk. This, this, that's me meeting uh, Nancy and Ann. I'm the redhead <laughs> in the middle. <laughs> all right, let's, all right, cool. Let's just hope the lawyers don't get in touch with us as we're doing this. So here we go. Boom, ba dum 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 ba Welcome to Seat Go Create, Marva Baylor. Marva, welcome. Thank you, Tim. That energy from Heart really resonates with me. And I listen to Heart. If, if, literally, if I was a great singer, I wouldn't be here with you as a tech exec because I would be a rock star. I, so I listened to them all growing up and um, I was in a band and I was pretty good in the band, actually. You know, I played lead guitar, and rhythm guitar, dancing, but I could not sing. So because of that, I got into health club sales, which then got me into tech sales because I was part of the internet boom. And now I'm an author and I'm coming to you from Georgia, but I also live in South Carolina as well in Charleston. Awesome. It is so great to have you. And let's hope we still have everyone with us after that rousing version of the guitar riff from heart. There are people going, oh my gosh, we've never heard Tim do that. So anyway, but uh, yeah, fun. And you know, one little kind of sidebar, kind of fun thing uh, about heart and, and I want people to search this. And I'm guessing that the people that do our transcripts are going to put the link to the YouTube video of this. But there is a classic rock song called Stairway to Heaven done by Led Zeppelin that at the Kennedy Center Honors, I don't know what year it was, but Hart did that song. And it is the best cover song I have ever heard. Phenomenal. I mean, you hate to say in tears for a rock song, but literally you could be in tears. They have a full choir behind them. Have you seen that one? Do you know what I'm talking about? No, I'm writing that down. I have not seen that. You need, you've got to check it out. If you're, if you're a fan of Anne and Nancy and all that's heart and Led Zeppelin in the seventies and all that kind of stuff. Anyway, it's a must. And so there'll probably be a link down in our notes, I'm guessing, but um, anyway, Marv, I mean, yeah. music connection to people, and it's so cool that you're in 80 plus countries, and it's something that connects us around the world. So I'm glad you're mentioning this. It's fun. Yeah, yeah, very cool. All right, Marva. So uh, now that we've got all these intros out of the way, <laughs> and we brought you on stage, or we brought you into the Zoom, or on the podcast, whatever, and uh, found out all that you do and all that about you, um, let's uh, let's kind of have a chat about being unexpected because. I, I read a lot of books. I, I get a lot of books with what I do. And I, I want to say this, like first, uh, above anything, to me, the topic that you're addressing in this book is kind of some of these foundational topics that we all need in the world today. I mean, is that kind of what you were shooting for? I mean, you mentioned that you're in the tech space and leaders and all that, but I think this stuff's for everybody. 
It is for everybody. And I actually um, just presented a, a women's conference in Arizona. It was, uh, it was called Power Up Women. And uh, and it was to celebrate the birthday of um, Gloria Felt. It was her 80th birthday. So a lot of her her kids were there. And they're, they're not, you know, in, in tech or whatever. They're, you know, they're her family. And so when we did the roundtables around th this topic, I literally said, is anyone in corporate, is anyone connected to Gloria? And is anyone corporate? And Three of my tables, nobody was in corporate. I was like, oh, wow, how is this going to connect? And I tested all the content on them. And not only did it connect, I mean, I had people literally crying, hugging me when we were talking about some of these topics. So, you know, it, it's for everybody. It's for working people. It's for moms. It's for teachers. Uh, it really anyone that needs to communicate. It, it's to get that better connection and energy is what's most important. Yeah, don't you think? I mean, you know, we're we're recording this in what what's the you know we're recording this in 2022, sort of the tail end of fall, uh, you know, fallish of 2022, and the world has kind of come through some interesting few years in a lot of different ways, and and I'm just noticing that people in general, I'm doing some work with a with a group of uh, business leaders and a board of directors on, on Saturday of this week. And they are really struggling with some things that are going on in their organization. They can't quite pinpoint it. And I, I actually believe a lot of what they're struggling with are the things you cover in this book. Some basic, I'll call it human interaction 101. I'm, I am not making light of the topic at all. In fact, I'm saying it's foundational. But um, how important is this connection, this interaction in 2022, after all that we've just come through? Well, this, this uh, connection is really important all, all the time, but in 2022, we're on, most of the time we're on video calls, or you might have that board meeting, but you, this is the first time meeting people um, in two years or three years. And so that ongoing warmth and connection, I'm, I'm actually one of those people that I will say, can I hug you? And if I don't hug someone, I will put you know my hand on their, their shoulder and, and I can feel their energy. I'm sure you're probably one of those people as well. And you don't realize it till you miss it. Um, and also, you know, back to your boards, you know, board members, you're used to being in charge of things and having, you know, some level of power and authority. And when we're on these Zoom calls, we're on these Zoom calls. I, I never forget one of the, or video calls, you know, if you're not on the Zoom brand. Um, I was at an early webinar and it was with VMware, um, the COO, and it was with, um, I believe, Infosys. And they were having this big executive thing. And he's like in the bedroom of one of his kids. And this was like early Zoom call. And then I started noticing. And then we had Kim Scott in her she shed. And we had, I mean, like, so it kind of went on and on. And if you really think about it, you're inviting people into your home. And I don't think people did it intentionally. And literally just at this last conference, Carla Harris, who's the, the top black woman on Wall Street, she was either in some hotel room or her own room, but her bed wasn't even made. And, you know, she had her pearls on and was talking. And I mean, she's a super authority, but, you know, I, I, me, I'm a little, I get distracted by shiny objects. You know, I was looking behind at her background, but, but that whole connection, it can make you more vulnerable. It can make you real. And it's a level playing field. But this whole, uh, the, the verbal communication, we need to get that right. Because, you know, we're going to be on this call with everybody for, I guess, this episode is about 60 minutes. You're going to tune in, you're going to tune out. To get people's attention, you have to do something that's not routine because everyone is expecting certain people to say certain things at certain times in meetings and they just go like that. 
and they don't absorb anything. <laughs> so the idea is we can smile and be polite to each other, but if we're trying to get things done and also get to know people, let's let's do that and let's get rid of all this other nonsense, really. Yeah, I, I like that. And it it kind of has my mind spinning in all these circles. You know, the, the biggest thing that's kind of interesting for me right now, and I've I've read your stuff, I've read your book, but this is something I'll just go ahead and say it. I'll just spit it out. You don't seem to have a personality of people that I've interacted with in the tech space. <laughs> and, and so I would love for you to give us a little bit of a background how I'm sorry, I, if that's like, I think you can handle that. I, I'm not, the, I'm not the first person that said that. Am I? It's like, okay. And uh, for those that aren't listening in very vivacious, redhead, all that kind of stuff. You, you've got a lot of energy, tremendous energy. And I've been around some folks, some Silicon Valley types. I'm an engineer by training. I've somewhere along the way, I developed a little bit of a personality. And, uh, and so it, it's a little bit different. So let's back up. I'd like to know a little bit about, you know, Marva growing up a little bit of your formative years, some things that happened that kind of led you into kind of where you went down this whole text. And I do want to say this, I went to your LinkedIn profile and you've got from, from a while back until now, all types of jobs in all types of arenas, primarily in tech. So give us a little bit of background. Yeah, so I've all, my whole professional career has been in technology. Um, I, I got really involved with the telco space in the dot-com era, um, with, and it's always been with software. Um, and, and so I got was involved early on, but my first, I guess, tech job was actually selling typewriter maintenance. So just like we have a computer and we're doing our, our video call, people in organizations either had a weighing word processor or a, you know other type of terminal, or then they had a type typewriter and typewriters were about 2000 you know a thousand to two thousand dollars back then i don't think people really knew that but they at, at those back then it was those prices so today they would be like five thousand dollars um so to maintain them you had to sell maintenance contracts so that was my first tech job and then that's how i got into uh the networks in the telecom area and what i think makes me different is like you said you're an engineer um so actually uh did, did some time at Amazon and where really 90% of the people in their field are engineers. And you need a balance of people because you're dealing with clients. So the engineers and the, the logical thinkers are, are going to be great, but I'm a high yellow um, in the HBDI and, and really more of a innovative out there person. And why that's great for tech is you need someone to ask the hard questions or you need someone to ask the simple questions. Mm. And also, as you know, with tech people, they don't like to be called out for something they don't know. So when there's all these acronyms, um, and I also did uh, federal government, public sector for a very, very long time. So you have the public sector government acronyms, and then you have your tech acronyms. And people, you know, the smarter they want to be, they'll just talk in ABC, this, clean this, and this XYZ. And and I was always the person in the room, no matter what the industry, healthcare, government. Tim, can you please explain what you mean by the CTN or provisioning? Provisioning is a great one. I always throw that one out there. Use the word provisioning in any context and in, in, in multiple industries, and you're going to get something 
very well thought out, very articulate, but it's going to be different. So really to ask those hard questions. And, and that's how I've succeeded in tech. You know, I, I, I had this flashback to when I came out of Georgia Tech and went to work for Bell South Corporation. You mentioned telecommunications and telecommunications. Yeah, yeah. I'm lasting customer. <laughs> and and they were notorious for, I mean, you know, I thought I was a reasonably smart guy. You know, engineers sometimes think they're smarter than they really are. However, I thought I was okay smart. Well, I walked in uh, to Bell South Corporation and they had this entirely different language of acronyms as it was called acronym is the language and they had a book i'm holding my fingers for those that might be listening about three four inches that was the acronym bible or something like that and the, the problem is is it wasn't like you know one acronym was just one thing there was acronyms that were the same but they meant different things depending on where you use them in and and i noticed marva that people used acronyms kind of as a badge of honor it's like Marvel walks in the room and there's this meeting and all of a sudden people are throwing around acronyms and they're almost doing it with this little bit of a pride and ego. It's like, okay, I could speak this language. You can't speak it. And, and that's like 101 problems with communications. It immediately breaks down the communications. And so you seem like you were someone that just likes to cut through all the barriers to communications and connecting. Were you always that way, like back to the playground or anything, or did you develop that over time? No, I was always that way. So I was the redheaded Born stepchild. that way. <laughs> I, I, I really do think I was born that way. So my hair is not dyed. This is, this is natural and I'm over 50. And when you have red hair, there is no place to hide. No, I mean, you could just sit there and be quiet, whatever, but there's, there's literally no place to hide. Um, so no, I've always, I've always been that way. And when I was in high school, I was a cheerleader. I had, I was president of the uh, student government association, which I really liked because I had my own office and I got to make posters and my friends, I could give them hall passes. And so we would make posters for two hours. Um, but I also worked in a health club. So I was a cheerleader. Why bring that up? Because everything, for those on this call that know anything about cheerleading or dance, everything's on an eight count. So when the 80s health clubs, by the way, I did see there's some new, it's like a podcast or something where they're bringing back 80s aerobics. So that was me to the T. I mean, you anything you can imagine about it, that was me. And so I got a job teaching aerobics. Um, and did I know anything about health? No. I just, no, I did after. But when I got the job, no, I did not. I just did the routines smiled, cheered everyone on. It was great. Then I ended up getting certified. And then they said, do you want to be in sales? I'm like, nah. Then everyone quit. And I'm like, okay, I'll be in sales. And they made me the manager. So I made $35,000 a year when I was a senior in high school. And then moving into my freshman year, going into potentially college, I was making $40,000 a year, which any of you are in the health club business, hats off to you. But uh, this was pre-personal trainer where you pay, you know, 50 to $100 a session. So this was where you pay literally $100, you know, you get the whole year, you know, the whole year, unlimited classes. And the hours were 6 a.m. to 10 a.m. And on weekends. And my mother, who was a professor um, for University of Maryland, said, no, you will be going to college because this sounds great now, but this isn't going to be great. You know, 20, 30 years from now, you're still going to be making the same money and you're still going to be here. So um, so I pivoted. I stayed at the health club 
and I went to college. So I worked all through college, uh, was in a sorority um, in college, and I worked all through through college. Um, why this is all interesting and asking how I got to tech. So back in the day, I don't know if you remember this, um, when this is the, I guess, these opinions are my own. <laughs> Who knows where this is going to be retweeted. Um, to get into tech, there was one, one main area uh, for men. You had to be an engineer or one main area. You had to be an engineering major. Now, if you look back 20, 30 years ago and look how many women or people of color were engineering majors, wasn't a lot. And then the other one to, that they would marry with the, that criteria was you had to play D1 sports. So, mm -hmm. and, and this was before uh, they had all the, the women, you know, sports and, and all these variety of sports. So the D1 sports were basketball, football, and baseball. So again, those aren't, those weren't sports women were playing and it really wasn't sports that were totally multicultural depending on the university. So I didn't get hired at, and I won't name the companies, but that was the criteria to get into all those companies. So what the rest of the companies did, or some of those companies did, is they actually hired the sorority girls. Really? <laughs> yeah, they did. And there's still companies today that will hire the sorority girls. Because again, like you said, exactly how you described me, easy to get along with, smart, friendly, what else would you want? And of course, hardworking. If you're in a sorority and you go to a you know a big college and you're you know you're you're active, what other kind of employee would you want to have? So that's how I got hired. These days, I would say all of these things have definitely lightened up. But I will say for sales, especially tech sales, the best tech salespeople I've had really has been um, the 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 women uh, athletes. So I've had softball, volleyball track i mean and, and especially when i hired the captains i mean th those are really stressful really stressful jobs you know in jobs i mean you're in college but it, that's a stressful job and it's really um it's great for tech because as you know tech everything's changing all the time it's very demanding time sensitive now in the world with security i mean it, it's very it's it's mission critical it, it literally is mission critical so you have to be able to pivot take take balls flying at you, you know, changes in coaches, you know, all, all the things that you have to do. So, so it's still, you know, marries well today, but that's how I got into tech. So what's fascinating, I don't even know if we need to translate some of this for some people listening. I mean, we brought up typewriter. Some people listening don't even have a clue what a typewriter is. Um, and we brought up, you know, aerobics and exercise in, in the eighties, which, yeah, which Google that, there's a new show and some new class. Yeah. I mean, it's going to be like the next Peloton really. And I love Peloton all the way, but they want to make it, they want to bring it back. <laughs> and, get, and yeah, with, with recent Olivia Newton-John passing and the let's get physical, people are going to be wearing leg warm and and having big huge hair that uh, that we had back then I, so. had earrings. I had big earrings that matched my outfit and we had to wear wrap skirts and we actually had to wear high heels to to the gym not I when told, you were teaching you had to wear them <laughs> I told someone recently that I'm thankful that we didn't have social media during that time so there's not a lot of evidence 
of uh, my, uh, my hairstyles and some things that I did back then that I'd rather not discuss or talk about right now. However, um, fascinating. And then we also learned, I just want to summarize here, that uh, back in the day, sorority girls were really, really sought after and, and were a great fit for the tech world. That was, that's fascinating because you're correct. I mean, listen, when I was at Georgia Tech and I looked around, I remember going to uh, an interview that it was about 20 guys sitting around a table and one female. And the guy from the organization that was doing the hiring basically said, I just want y'all to know we're going to hire the same number of females as we do males. And, you know, all of us guys are looking around the table going, hmm, <laughs> that's going to weed a lot of us out. So, uh, all right. So, but, but, but you've got this long list of items on LinkedIn. Hit a highlight or two for us that was significant for you along the way, along your journey. One of the things we love to talk about here at Seek Go Create is times that we've had to redefine success. We've had to shift. And, and I know that, you know, later in life, we'll, we'll, we'll maybe address where you went through a, a cancer journey. But what about some professional things where you were like, maybe taken back, you kind of had to regroup or redefine what success was like for you. Do you have any examples of that? So when I was at a company called Micromuse, hey, Micromusers, um, we got bought by IBM. That's the other part of the story. Um, it, it was um, my first big, big tech job. And I was a sales rep and my boss had retired um, and no one was going to take the, the management job. And so there was two of us that had had management experience before. Um, and they said, we think Marvin should do it. So I was like, okay. So I ended up being in charge of their whole federal government public sector. And, and this was in, you know, we were at, we had a couple wars going on. Um, this was pre 9-11 and that I was also there post 9-11. Um, and our software was very competitive with IBM and, and Hewlett Packard, who was the like incumbents at the time. And we were doing really big projects. Like I'll never forget the time I met with the C CIO that stands for chief information officer. That means like the head of all the technology for one of the military, um, branches i won't say which one it was but he said ma'am if you can tell me how to kill people and blow up things faster then i don't want to listen to what you said and i was like sir and then and then we gave our talk and then we had a really big sales <laughs> and we're doing net net is we were also doing really important work so we were able to identify people that spoke different languages that were in different countries um to keep the really to keep the military um, people safe and then we also had a communication system for them for their families that we put in which is probably one of my you know most favorite projects um and so we were doing all that and then we got bought by IBM and everybody left because they were like, oh my gosh, this is the best company I've ever worked for. And everybody left. Literally, there was, I was a retained executive and one other person, everybody else left because we didn't want to work at IBM. And sorry, IBM. <laughs> I did like I really did like working there. And the reason it's why, a different culture, the culture. I mean, it's IBM's a big, slow-moving culture, but they do big things. So I get it. They do big things. And, and so then this was also early 2000s when there was so many tech companies 
companies. Uh, the company I worked for was a public company. The stock was going crazy, you know, millionaires before you were 40. I mean, it was, so it's like, why would you want to work at IBM when you have this? And, and literally I was in the Delta crown room, another, not a plug for Delta, but I love Delta by the way, but that's, that's the, the airline we fly here in Atlanta, Georgia. And they had this magazine. They had this woman on the magazine who you can't see how tall I am, but I'm, I'm pretty short. I'm like five, two. And she was way smaller than me and she had her arms up like this and a big smile on her face and it said woman of the year and i was like i want to meet this woman and ann kramer and it was for social impact i was like i want to meet her so i send a note because ibm is this huge if you only can imagine i think they had six hundred thousand people at the time this big like database system so i emailed her admin everyone had admins back then administrative assistant is what that stands for and I got a meeting with her in three days, three days. And she said, Marva, dear, we need people like you that not only are going to do a great job for IBM and our clients, but we want people that are going to change the world. I was like, what? Like, what, what does this mean? And she goes, yes, we are going to put you on a nonprofit board and we're going to have you work with the community and, and you're going to love it here. And I was like, I, I had never heard of that. I just heard about making money and doing a great job for the client. There's, you know, and obviously being nice to your coworkers, but otherwise there was no talk of all, all of this back then. So that was a huge pivot for me. Um, the other area, because I know you're a faith-based person, we actually talked about God and faith. And I was like, whoa, <laughs> what's happening here? <laughs> but again, she's from Atlanta. And in Atlanta, that's one thing I noticed when we moved to Georgia, people actually do say the word God or Jesus or, uh, you know, the the higher being that that is important to them. And they say it out loud in work settings. I was like, whoa. And I was coming from Maryland, D.C. area, which you don't, you didn't go there, back, you know, in, in that environment. So I was like, hmm, this this is something, this is just something different. And that is really what pivoted and changed where then moving forward, any company I interviewed for, I cared about the values. I cared about the employees. I cared about the community. I didn't ask all those other questions about money and prestige and whatever. You're going to pay me for what I deserve. And I knew that. And that's, that's kind of table stakes. But these other areas, you know, you really do have to put your, your heart where your, your mouth is. Yeah, the, the, so there's so many things that are kind of running through my head right now, and I appreciate you sharing that. I think the thing that I'd like to ask now, and I, and I think you brought this up a little bit in 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 the book that you wrote that we're going to do. I, I've got a lot of questions about that here shortly. I, for those that are listening in, I'm a white male, and so sometimes the rules are different for me than they are. You don't seem as if you would ever back down from a challenge and issue or things like that. However, I will admit and know that sometimes the rules are different for women. And so you address it some in your book, but I want to, I want to get a perspective or tips or encouragement or something from you for the people out there. Some might be younger because you've, you've, seen lots of stuff i'm sure um it was interesting that you seem taller than five two to me now we're on zoom <laughs> but when you mentioned five two i'm just picturing this five two redhead coming into a male dominated environment and just um putting on the you know the the, the power and everything like that but i know there's probably been challenges along the way 
So share whatever you're wanting to share to encourage, uplift, whatever related to that. I'll just kind of like throw you that softball and let you hit that wherever you want to. Yeah. So the power that we all hold is to give other people power. And, and when you give other people power, then you're, you're, you're actually amplifying your power. So if you try to be dogmatic and tell people what to do and try to be smarter and better, it doesn't work. So just like that example I gave you at the beginning, and when you said, why am I successful in tech? That's why I'm successful in tech. Um, but as far as advice goes, so I talk about this in my book and I talk about it, any talk I have. And I, the one that really hit me was I gave a talk to the staff of a historical black college. I won't name who it was, um, but it was a historic black college. And so these people are professors and they're also medical doctors. So that means we're talking 12 to 20 years of school, maybe, right? And the talk was around power and it was also using your power. And so I have this whole different uh, practice I've been studying around verbal and nonverbal communication. Um, I also gave this talk, ironically enough, at Georgia Tech for their alumni people. Um, and it was for their women who were super smart and now were highly recruited and now we're in companies. And what was going on is people's ideas were not being listened. And these are the reasons why. Idea number one, learning moment number one. What if you ask me a question and I answer it like this? Hmm, Tim, that's a great question. Thank you for asking that. Uh, I'm sorry, I might have to think about that for a minute. I'm not really, I don't know. I'm sorry, uh, give, me, give me a minute. Oh, got it, okay. So uh, the reason why, so if I did all that, you'd be like, you're gonna sit there, you're smiling, you're polite. But men, you just asked, what do women and men do differently? Men do not do that. They don't. They don't do that. And when I was so honored to be part of this training, when I was at IBM, I was part of an executive training sessions we had. And we, it, was, it was long. It was like a six-week course that we have. Um, from It's called Taking the Stage from the Humphreys Group. And I've also built on that with other practices and, and resources I can share. It was it was fascinating because we would get on these conference calls because back then IBM was really early on in conference calls because they had a total global and the men would just say it. So, I mean, sometimes you're on calls with 20 people. It's just like, sort of like how we are today. And they won't go, excuse me. I mean, because again, it wasn't, there was no video. So you're literally just getting, you got to like say your point. So if you have all these preambles and all that stuff, yes, people are going to listen to you, but are they going to listen? Is your idea going to get across? So that's idea number one, and I can spend more time on that today. And the other big one was body language. So I have a whole um, instruction around where to sit at a conference room table, which again, you would think most people learn that. And I literally just gave that to a class of, and there was quite a few Georgia Techers in there, actually. Um, I gave it to a, cl a class, it was a summer program, and literally the person I was hosting had said, wait a minute, you all, they don't teach this in college. And, you know, some of you go, and they're like, no, no one teaches us. So people are taught to shake hands, smile, and that's it. <laughs> that's, that's all they're taught. So on the body language, literally, I have all these pictures like high power, low power. And I had one of the professors say, oh, I'm doing literally every single of these um, positions on the, on the high power in my classes. No wonder the students don't want to approach me. I don't, I want to be approachable. I didn't realize I was 
fending them off. Like he didn't, he, he just didn't realize. So that is my advice is you, you really need to learn the science. And a lot of it is physical science. Um, it's not just what you say, it's how you say it and your physical presence. Yeah, the the great thing about that, and and then I want to say this too. I always want to qualify this. We have to be careful generalizing because when we say things like "all men do this," "all women do this," whatever, I I, I that's, but we can look at trends, and and you're correct. And in general, in a male-dominated meeting situation, oftentimes the female will be. This is sort of exaggerating. Will be the one asked to take notes. <laughs> You know, even they, even though they probably have a seat at the table, that's a little bit um, condescending, but I think people kind of get it. And because anyway, and men are quick to get their point across. They don't think a lot before they speak. They come across pretty confident, even when they're not. And, uh, and then also, this is a whole nother thing, Marva, strong women scare most men. They do. <laughs> I mean, I'm dealing with a situation right now where I've seen in a in a client situation uh, where they've actually moved a woman off of a leadership team because I could I know she scared other people, and uh, but but you know men can men can yell. I know. We have to stop this. You have to stop it. <laughs> I know. I know. But but I mean but so so you know men we could raise our voice we could speak and raise our hands and all that. But then it doesn't seem to work the same way. So, so are we seeing any headway? You've got a long career. Are we getting better? We are getting better because we're having these conversations. Um, and what what actually really struck me is when I was doing these talks, and actually Georgia Tech uh, alumni was one of my very very first talks that I, I did. Um, and then I had a mentor, um, Lee Crump. He's the former CIO for the Rollins Corporation, which is very long, long corporations. He's now retired. And he's like, why are you doing this just for women? Why aren't you doing it for men? And, I, and, and he's in his seventies. So that's why I'm also bringing him up as an example. Um, and he has daughters and he said, why, why are you just doing this for the women? It's cool that you're doing it, but you need to do this for men too. I was like, Oh, okay. I didn't think about that. So when I did it for his, gave a presentation for his group around this topic, said, are any of you managers of women? Raise your hand. Are any of you fathers, godfathers, grandfathers, mentors? And every, literally every person raised their hand. And those people were even, honestly, they were more interested than the, the women or the population we were trying to address because they really wanted to help. And they really wanted to know what they were doing wrong or what they could do better. Or back to what I was saying, the power you have is to empower others and give them the power. So they they really were just either validation ideas or a lot of it was really new information to people. So you're you're uh, I'm glad you have this this platform because we need to get the word out. Yeah, and no, I, I agree. I mean, I've got a daughter, and I, I I agree that we need to continue having the conversation about this. So somewhere along the way. Well, oh, there was one other thing I wanted to bring up because we have a something in common here. I recognize that a lot of my talents and skills in the area that you address in your book, Beyond Unexpected, begin to, began developing when I stepped into a, a multi-level marketing uh, arena. And you talk about Avon, uh, your experience with Avon and some other things in, in one of the later chapters of the book. And I've always said this, and I just love your comments on this, that like you've said, we don't teach this stuff in colleges. We definitely don't teach it in high school. 
we do a really poor job in the corporate setting too. We give, we give people manuals, we give people technical training, but we don't tell them how to talk to their person on the other side of the cubicle very well. But multi-level marketing or networking or whatever term, I, some people are going to be, I, I mean, I spent the 90s in, the, in a network in the Amway organization. We did very well. I was able to leave Bell South because of that. But tell me how formative it was the time you spent in and around those settings, because you bring it up in your book, because I don't, I don't think there's a better setting to teach some of the things you talk about in your book than in those worlds. Yeah, I agree. So it, it gives you entrepreneurship. Um, and obviously now we have the web, you know, the web, but I mean, back then there was no web. So you would actually have store, you know, storefronts or door to door was, was what you would be doing. So, but now um, with the websites, you can put your own spin on, you are an entrepreneur and you're using these products and services as, as a way to, um, enhance your lifestyle and, and personalize it. So for me, I mean, I had to get, first of all, I had to get the money for Avon. I was 16. So I had to get the money to buy the kit. And that's, that's the whole thing. I mean, it's the kit and then they're getting your network and all that. So, um, now it's more, they're getting the network and the mailing list back then. There wasn't really a mailing list. It was literally the physical territory. Um, but yeah, it taught me accounting, uh, uh, finance, product, um, inventory, every, you know, everything, but going to the meetings and it's cool that you were in Amway. I mean, when you go to the meetings, I mean, I know uh, my son works at Mercedes-Benz Stadium uh, uh, part-time. And I think the largest event they had there might've been like Primerica, the insurance. Um, so, you know, it's around and, and people love the energy and the community um, and you get motivated. And so I was definitely super interested in just in learning and back to sales training. Where are you getting the sales training from? I mean, it's great that I worked at IBM and I got excellent, excellent training there. But otherwise, every company you went to, they would have sales trainers kind of come and go, whatever. But that, that really foundational sales training about and how to work with people and overcoming objections and connecting some of the, these companies really do a nice job with that. Yeah. And no, here's one cool thing about it in, in early on in your book, be unexpected, you talked about Dale Carnegie and one of the Love first that. books, one of the first books in like 1991, 92 that. Uh, I just saw it. My letter opener I got for one of my prizes for being the rookie uh, presentation. <laughs> yeah, so I, I, I was handed that book, How to Win Friends and Influence People. And I think in the book, you said you went through some Dale Carnegie training. And to me, and in fact, in the book, I mean, this is, we could kind of talk about some of this. You go over some of the training that he does for first impressions, you know, be interested, smile, and some other things. And I'm sitting here reading it, having a flashback to 1991 when I read that book and recognizing how significant it's been over the last 30 years of my life and my career. Because, you know, someone doesn't have to be around me long and know that smiling is very important to me. <laughs> I mean, it just brings down barriers between people and, and using people's names. I will do all that I can to try to call people by their first name. And it seemed to me that some of that was kind of foundational to you also and significant for the book. Am I correct? You are totally correct. And I mean, he's been doing this in the 1920s, 1920s. So it's um, new stuff. It's new cutting edge stuff. 
And it's it's basic. And then and when and you know during COVID we had masks. And then also you know there are people that you know might have a, a part of their facial features they're not able to actually do what we call a smile. So you can but you can smile with your eyes. You can smile with your touch. You so it doesn't even have to be with your teeth. Although I you know like my teeth. My mother was a dental hygienist. So so you know I, I did go to the dentist when I was a kid um, and had braces and all that good stuff. But um, you know, it's, 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 it's that warmth. And what I really just loved about Dale Carnegie. So there's a couple of things, the smiling, definitely um, also value every person, no matter their title. So back to, you know, this intro thing. So when you're asking people, what do you do? And the first thing they tell you is their job title. No, no, we don't do that. No. And then by the way, you just said, I'm more important than you as depending on how you, you, you say it. Um, so it's really important to do that. And then the name, I mean, we would do these exercises where you had to actually, you know, go around the room, say everyone's names and then repeat them back. I actually am really good at doing that because if I hear someone's name, I'll remember it. But the whole using people's names, it recognizes back to smiling. It recognizes you as a human being. And when you're anywhere, you should ask people's names. And I cannot tell you how many times, especially in the service industry, will be like, no one's ever asked my name. I mean, that's not okay. That is not okay. So you need to ask everybody's name that you're interacting with just and, and also share your name. And, and no one's more important than anybody else in this world. Yes, and, and I, I think that's the power of what you brought up earlier, which is our purpose when we have some power is to share power, not to consume it, not to suck it all in. Uh, we are to be, I believe we're created to be focused on others and to help others. And part of that is just a polite remembering that your name and call it and call your name. That's one of the things that's unique for most of us. Now, some of us have other people that are similar, but uh, so I love, I, I loved in the book, that early on, that was like a foundation. And then you kept building and building on it. And so that was really cool. So thanks for sharing that and triggering that memory for me of Dale Carnegie's How to Win Friends and Influence People. It always makes me want to go back and reread that book. It's been so long. But let's talk about Be Unexpected. Because somewhere along the way, Marva woke up, and I think you did share at the at the end, kind of why you wrote the book and all that. But I I just love to find out as someone who's just written a book myself, why'd you write this book? What, what was up with that? COVID. So I uh, <laughs> simple. <laughs> I used to travel. I, I literally had just got diamond status again. Back to my Delta Airlines. Uh, hopefully, I might get like a free trip out of this podcast. I didn't even realize how much I could talk about Delta. We should um, get them to sponsor. Maybe I'll try to reach out and see if they'll sponsor the show. <laughs> for sure. Uh, and I had, I had only done one international trip. So I was like back and forth, New York, uh, Atlanta, going to um, California all the time. And and my last trip was during um, International Women's Day, and I was a keynote speaker in London, and that's when everything started shutting down, and then everything stopped, and back to these these uh, webinars and podcasts, so I, I literally started being like, oh my gosh, what? I look at my calendar, and this is before everyone was all, uh, you know, literally scheduling you 12 hours a day on zoom calls people were trying to figure it out we didn't know the, the work situation and and i needed to connect with people and and then on the weekends i mean we were in lockdown i live in at the time i lived in georgia and you couldn't 
not go anywhere. I mean, even, even Georgia was pretty lenient on a lot of things and we, were, we did not go anywhere. And then I worked for a California based company. So we didn't go anywhere. And so I didn't have anything to do, honestly. So I was like, you know what? I've always wanted to write a book. And meanwhile, I had watched um, two of these video sessions with people sharing their experience writing books. Um, and finally, uh, the CIO, I'll, I'll give him a shout out, Gary Brantley, he was the CIO of Atlanta during the Super Bowl, super busy man. I was like, how the heck did he have time during the Super Bowl that by the way, got breached. And then he was in uh, leadership Atlanta and then he got a new job and he writes a book. I'm like, how did he have time? And how do you even do this? And he's the only one that actually told me how he wrote the book, how he got the publisher and what to do. So I think that was the biggest thing is I didn't really know how I know, knew I wanted to do it, but I didn't know how. So if anyone wants to connect on the multiple options on how to write a book, I'm more than happy to share my experience and also all the options that I did not take. And that that's really what I would say in anything in general and why these podcasts and videos are so great because people don't tell you what, what they're really doing. They, it just seems like, Oh, cool. I read a book. They don't really tell you what they did. So I'm more than happy to get into to detail on that, but that's why I wrote it. That's good. So that's the why. So what were you hoping it would lead to or accomplish? Or was 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 it just there's a why and you're going to write a book or or was there something because I could tell you're a person that you like to impact people. There's no doubt about that just from your the, the way you are and the things you've written. But what what were you hoping to accomplish from the writing of this book? So a book and I have it right here. Nice. I've got it on my Kindle, so it's not as attractive. <laughs> oh, good. I'm coming out with an audiobook uh, in October. Uh, nice. And all the go to breast cancer research and awareness. Um, so that's what I want. I, I, so I have a hard copy book in my hand. Um, I have a full library. Um, I am the daughter of a librarian. Um, I'm actually named after my father's co-worker, Marva. Um, and she was a civil rights activist in Baltimore and I'm named after his coworker, which is kind of a cool story. Um, and I'm, I grew up in a library. So I grew up with physical and I love digital books, but I grew up with physical hard copy books. And to me, this is, this is a legacy I want to live. And as you mentioned, I did have breast cancer. And when you have breast cancer, you could, I mean, you could die. I mean, that, that if, if it's God's plan and that could happen. Um, and both my parents and my stepfather all passed away from cancer when they were all 61. Um, so for me, 61 is sort of like that. What have I done? So my um, path to acceleration, as far as all the things that people have on their, and I do not like the word bucket list. So on the, the list of adventures list, um, Writing a book, I bet she's on, I don't know the stats, but I bet it's on at least 50% of the population. And so when I learned how I could write a book, I jumped on it and I said, I'm doing it. So I wrote a book. Sure. And um, it, 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 I think I'd heard a statistic one time of almost like 80% say they want to, uh, to write a book, which is fascinating because around 40 to 45% people actually read books. So that means there are probably a lot of people that want, want to write a book that actually don't read books, which is a, a real interesting thing. So, so be unexpected. Tell me about the title. Tell us where that came about. And truthfully, as I was reading it, it actually was a little bit of a tongue twister for me initially. But then as I was reading it, well, tell us about the title, then I'll tell you something that nagged at me a little bit and you could address it. 
Cool. I'd love to hear it. So uh, back to writing a book. So for me, the starting place was the title. So I could not move forward unless I had a title. And and that was that was a blocker. That, that, was, that definitely was a blocker. So for me, my daughter and her friends were at our house. Sydney, Sydney, the most named Sydney and my daughter's name, Heather. And I told him about writing a book and we literally had some wine and hung out at the lake and riffed and riffed and riffed and riffed and came up with the title. And that's how I came up with the title. Wow. So, uh, so you had like a brain trust and wine. A brain trust, <laughs> a millennial brain trust. And, and that's why, because the, the audience I want is for the next generation of leaders. Now, people that know me and whatever... Yes, they're going to read it and, and, and they're going to get it just like you. You have context, but mm -hmm. this is for the next generation of leaders. This information is for people that don't even know who Dale Carnegie is. They have no idea. So even you just bringing this up today, there's going to be people Googling get Dale Carnegie going, wow, I love his quotes or, oh my gosh, I've heard this quote a million times. I, I didn't even know that that's who it's attributed to. So, so that's who I'm writing this book for. Good. So, all right. So let me tell you what was nagging at me while I was reading it, knowing the title was Be Unexpected, but yet I was reading all of these, what I consider to be foundational principles on how we should interact and deal with other people. And my thinking, this was the bouncing around in my head, was these should not be unexpected characteristics, traits, tips, techniques, et cetera. This should be the norm as opposed mm -hmm. to the unexpected, why is, why are they unexpected when they really should be the way we're doing things? Is that my, is that a wrong way of thinking? How does that hit you not, when I say not that? At not at all. And that's why the second part, and this took me longer to figure out this part, resetting routines to revolutionize the future of work. So just like when, when we get on any of these calls or start a meeting, you can have the amazing marketing people and coaches and whatever. And we're like, okay, before we start this meeting, let's go around and introduce ourselves. And everyone just stops. Meanwhile, we're having fun. We're talking. We're talking about where we live. We're talking about how we know each other. We're like, hi, I'm Marva Baylor, Vice President of Revenue. Hi, I'm Tim. And it's like, and then we waste literally 15 minutes. So we waste time because, again, on, on these kind of interactions, if you're spending 10 minutes, that's a long time. But if you're in a board meeting and you're wasting that kind of time, you're not wasting time. You're wasting energy. You're wasting people's brain cells and energy because, I mean, there's so many studies about being on these video calls of how it is sucking your energy. So the routines, yes, it is. I mean, the whole thing, smiling at people that like. Why wouldn't you smile at someone or why wouldn't you use someone's name? Like, guess what? Back to the power thing. People, again, they just don't, they forget. They, they forget, they get comfortable, they get complacent and they, and they move on. So there, it's just becomes routine and polite. So the idea is to be unexpected is just to take those simple things and break the cycle. Even if you put things, say, go with the same elements, but put them a little bit out of order. It gets people out of this, you know, automated pilot, just like you're trying to do on your, your session today. You're like, okay, we're going to start it differently. So how many people didn't walk off and go get drank and then come back? They're like, oh, what's, what's he going to say today? I never did, you know? So it, it just, it just makes it more fun and, and energetic is the idea. Yeah. I, one of the things that I, I, I like to say that I like to do this, but sometimes we get in these ruts or grooves or whatever you want to call it 
is that we like to mix things up and I'm not one that's big on tradition. Um, I, I, I guess there's some things that we should have tradition, but, you know, even with some things with my faith and a lot of things like that, I'm like going, nah, I think, I think we should do some things differently. And it seems as if you're one of those that just likes to, I'll, I'll say it this way, throw a wrench in the way things are, have always been done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you like to bust that up with the conferences and things like that. So if someone gets this book, you mentioned earlier, and, and I think you sort of addressed it, but the type person, you said you wrote it for maybe a younger generation or the people that are coming in, maybe, maybe that haven't been exposed to some of the, I'll just call them the basic skills that, uh, that we're talking about. Maybe they've been on their phones, you know, just texting and doing social media and haven't really interacted with people. Um, anybody else that this is for? I mean, I, I didn't really pick up on that there are people that you don't want to read, but maybe a little bit of female and maybe a little bit of younger skew anybody else as far as uh target audience? i'd say 80 percent of the people on my teams throughout the years have actually all been been men so men need this information as well really it's, it's someone that that wants to to break the cycle and the in the routine and, and also getting to know people, meet people where they are, rather than just talking about yourself all the time, which a lot of times, again, people just don't know how to do that. So if I, if I introduce myself and, and you, you ask me questions, I start talking all about myself. What, you know, how does that help you? Or I complain about the weather and driving there or my competition or what. So, so some of these basic things, maybe aren't basic because back to what you're saying, look at what we're watching on TV. You do bash your competition. You do bash, you know, you, cause that's what makes good TV, especially reality TV. Yeah. You're talking, you know, about a lot of people, right? Because that that's what gets it going. So if that's your model and it doesn't matter how old you are, you're, you might get there in the business world because again, it feels comfortable and people are going to react to you, but then are they going to trust you? So, so reacting and, and, and having fun and whatever is great, but is that going to be a long relationship and trust? Probably not. Hmm. So Mara, one thing that could be running through somebody's head right now, and this, I'm, I'm getting close to coming into my landing where we'll, we'll do a few wrap up questions. You are obviously very outgoing, extrovert, whatever words we want to use. I definitely fit more in the extrovert, outgoing. I'm actually getting a little bit quieter, I think, as I mature. But uh, what if someone is listening in and they're going, you know, that's just not me. That's uh -huh. not my style, my personality. I'm just quieter, like to observe. And I know you talk about this a little bit in the book, but I want to hear you uh, tell someone what, what they might need to be thinking if they're kind of going through this doubt of, you know, I don't think that's me. That's not my personality style. What would you say to them? Yeah, I love the Maya Angelou quote about every um, bird has a song to sing. And, and that's on us again as leaders to find that those people that, are the quietest voice and by the way back to engineering and why i'm different that is exactly why i'm different and um my last two employers literally they did uh the they call it enneagram or the myers-briggs and people you know largely 
the population was was introverts. So introverts, um, and actually introverts can can be chief revenue officers and presidents, but they just really also need that time to to decompress on their own. So that that really is is a great question because though people that don't have your tendencies, it's it's just with like any perspective. The more we can learn about other people and what what lights them up and maybe what they're motivators are the better we can be so i do share like a lot of a lot of details around that and by the way i've worked i mean like i said i've worked with really my my biggest population of people i've worked for and work with as clients have always been introverts mm-hmm. yeah and and i i totally agree with you so thanks for sharing that i think before we jump off i i would be a little bit uh negligent if I didn't allow you to speak to the, what I would consider a big uh, situation in your life that you've overcome, which is the breast cancer, because I, I, one of the things that I'm real big on is when I have someone who's overcome something, I know there's a good chance someone listening in might be going through something themselves. So mm-hmm. I'm going to, I don't even have a question for that, but I'm just going to kind of put that topic out and let you say, anything about that journey or an encouragement or anything that you would like to. And then I've just got a couple questions we'll wrap up with. And uh, so breast cancer, what was, what would you like to share? So as I mentioned, um, both my parents um, and then my stepfather all passed away from cancer at the age of 61. So that was always kind of front and center um, in my, in my life and really busy. So again, I worked in, in tech um, and we have a lot of demanding clients and we actually have end of quarter requirements. End of quarter means you have to get all the, the contracts in because then they're going to be billing the next um, quarter. Um, and it was one of our biggest quarters of the year. And it was around my birthday. Um, and I'll even share it's my 50th birthday. Um, and, and I had this big trip planned to go to Seattle to see Adele. Uh, my daughter had got tickets. Was, we, they were totally sold out in Atlanta. So we got tickets and she's like, we have this big trip to Seattle. And I really wasn't supposed to be taking off work because it's the end of the quarter, but I was already way ahead of my numbers. And my boss was like, it's it's fine. We got this. You can go on the, your trip. And then um, on my desk was a mammogram uh, to get my, my mammogram because it was my 50th birthday. And that was around when I was supposed to get my mammogram. So I went and got my mammogram and it came back bad and then I was still at you know I was going to be home because I was getting ready for my trip and they're like no you need to come back and I was, so fast forward came back literally three days in a row and then that Friday um, when they told me it was bad I got a call that the chief information officer again that's the top tech person at Coca-Cola um, Ed Steinecke is his name who is my mentor back to a God moment um, found out that he had suddenly passed away and again, he was around my same age and he was just moving to the lake. Him and his wife were just literally moving to the lake where I live. Um, and I was like, wow, this man has his, had his whole life planned and he was going to move to the lake and be retired. And, and so anyway, so I got breast cancer diagnosis. I ended up going on my trip. They said, you know what? You got a long journey ahead of you. Um, so we, we went, got the mammogram on a Sunday. I'm sorry, the MRI on a Sunday. Um, and I was off to Seattle. Um, I didn't tell anybody at work. So my biggest thing is if you are dealing with this and I know you are, or there's people in your family, I didn't do, I didn't tell people at work because when I had my children, I 
worked for two companies that did not have any women in my roles. Um, one of them didn't even have women in the company except for admins. Um, so there was no maternity leave. There was no, certainly no paternity leave or partner leave. None of that. I had no maternity leave. And not only did I not have leave, is my compensation would have been halted. I would have only got my salary. And one of them, I got paid 80% commission. So literally, I want to earn my income. So I didn't tell anybody because I knew that decisions would be made, at least in my mind, decisions would be made about me and for me with, you know, everyone would be nice. So that's up to you. And I know we're here on Facebook Live. So I did not put it on Facebook. I didn't tell people nothing. But fast forward, this is kind of the, the silver lining part. When I went through radiation, and that's where uh, you actually have to go every day. And it's, um, it kind of builds up in your system. And so you, you actually do have to go every single day. Um, and my, I had to go every single day for 45 days and you can miss three days in a row. Um, that's when I told my team because they were so used to having me like literally on speed dial. And so I was like, okay, between eight and whatever, I'm going to be a radiation. And I ended up, um, it was just again, a God moment. Um, so I would go to Orange Theory, did, did the best I could do. Uh, but it was, so like getting up and having a routine, then I would go to Starbucks and I would meet the barista and I remember his name, Rob, he was a, um, he was an army veteran. Um, and he remembered my name. I never told him really why I was there, but I was there every day. Um, and then I would work. And, but what happened was when I was having radiation, I don't know if any of you all have had it or have seen a radiation facility. Um, it looks like you're in a spaceship and I think you are in a spaceship. Um, I was clairvoyant. And back to uh, my career. So again, I'm in technology, but I'm also in sales, which means we're selling literally these um, solutions we're selling are in the millions. So these are very significant investments that companies are making um, with technology people as well as business people and operations people, um, significant investments. And I was clairvoyant. And what I mean by that, Tim, is I literally could say, Tim, Susie's going to call you and say X. And you're like, what? And, and then Susie would call and, and it was happening over and over and over. So my team ended up being the top in the world. And I do attribute that some to having breast cancer because I was a little bit clairvoyant. Um, and so I knew when to calm people down. I knew when to, you know, route people up. And, and then when I stopped radiation, it stopped. Interesting. Almost as if God was just giving you little prophecies right you know and saying giving you info how cool so all healthy now everything good um all good now um i i also um you know that's the other thing i think people don't understand about breast cancer and i don't know when this is going to air but october's breast cancer awareness month there's over 70 different types of breast cancer and that's one thing they always tell you is don't ask, they literally say don't ask other people because everyone's journey is so different um the one challenge I did have, and a lot of people have this after, is um, when you have surgery, you literally can't lift your arms. And again, I was a, I'm a workout person. I've always been very fit. So that was pretty challenging. I actually had to go to physical therapy because my neck got all jacked up. And then my medication just put me into menopause. So I, I'm, you know, was in menopause when I was 52 years old. Wow. But uh, yeah, well... and, and that's the kind of stuff that women will never tell you. So I'm telling you this today. So, <laughs> well, the, you heard it here. You've heard things here. We've heard some unexpected you know, things here that you don't would never know. Trust me on that one. But but we're here and 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 back to everyone's dealing with something. That's if you said what did I learn? Because again, I didn't tell people. Um, 
There's so much going on in people's lives. Also, the word cancer, I've noticed people use it for sales presentations, board meetings. They're like, this is going to spread like a cancer. Or if we don't do this or if we do this and they say it positively, whatever, don't use that as a, as a word in business because you don't know what people are going through. So that would be, if, if I did have to have a plea to people, I would say you never know what people are going through. Well, thanks for sharing that. And I'm excited that you're healthy and have a long, long life ahead of you. And so uh, thanks for sharing that. Hey, Marva, where can people find you? There's, there's going to be people that want to connect with you and get your book. So just real quick, tell us where to go. We'll include it all. But uh, where do you want people to go to find you? So I have a website, www.marvabaylor.com. So that's pretty simple, just my website. Um, I'm also a very active LinkedIn user. So when I was at IBM, one of my jobs was um, media and telecom. And this was when when LinkedIn, when Twitter had first came on board and LinkedIn only had 30,000 people. Now they have over 8 million users. So I'm, I'm also very big on, on LinkedIn. So I would appreciate that. Of course, since we're on Facebook, I am on Facebook, but, but I don't really use that for business. But if there's something you want me to help you with, I am definitely on Facebook as well as Instagram. Um, and then, you know, my website's really the best place. Excellent. We'll include links down below. Uh, my last question, we're seek, go create those three words. We kind of mash them together. That's our title here. I'm going to give you one of those words, pick one that most resonates or speaks to you right now, seek, go or create and why, and then we'll wrap up. I would say go. The time is now we need to live immediately. The time is now. So I'd say go, let's go for it. Excellent. That doesn't surprise me for some reason, Marvin, that does not surprise me. So what a great conversation, folks. I've enjoyed this. I've enjoyed humming uh, the guitar riff to heart and talking about all things being unexpected. Make sure you get a copy of the book. We'll include those down in the, uh, in the notes or wherever you're watching this. Be unexpected. That's a great mantra. And uh, with that, be unexpected. Make sure you continue to subscribe and follow what we're doing here at Seek Go Create. Every Monday, we drop new episodes and continue being all that you were created to be. 